0: Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and it's good to be with you again on another episode. Today is a special episode because as I was chatting with my guest, who you'll meet here in just a moment, um, I realized that I've talked about enzymes on Vitality Radio lots and lots and lots of times over the years. So many times I probably can't count that high, and yet I've never had a guest on just to talk about digestive enzymes before, so I'm excited for my my next guest. I'm hoping, and I'm quite confident based on her level of experience, that I'll be learning right along with you uh, some things that I didn't know. We're going to talk about food intolerances a lot. If you have heard of food intolerances, if you've experienced food intolerances, uh, such as, say, let's just throw out maybe one of the most common ones that people have all heard of, lactose intolerance. We'll talk a little bit about that. But did you know there are other things in milk that people can be intolerant to? We'll talk about uh, gluten intolerance. And uh, we've all heard of gluten intolerance and gluten-free this and gluten-free that. We'll talk about why that's a thing. If you're not one of the lucky ones who gets to look for labeling like that, uh, you'll certainly start to understand it. But we'll also help you understand if maybe you've got some intolerances you don't even know about. So we're going to talk a lot about that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about digestion as a whole and what you can do naturally to improve yours. Because if you have listened to Vitality Radio at all, you'll know that I believe that it all starts at the gut level and what's actually happening with your food once you eat it. And of course, let we, we can't forget what you actually eat uh, in that process either. So I'd like to welcome my guest, Julia Craven, to the show. She is the vice president of education for what I believe is the greatest of all enzyme companies out there, Enzymetica. And uh, I, with, without any more introduction than that, Julia, welcome to Vitality Radio.
1: Thank you, Jared. I'm so excited to be here. I love it when I get to talk with somebody who's already excited about enzymes.
0: Yeah. Enzymes are the best. I I really, I love them. And I've got my own little personal story that I've shared too many times on the show. Maybe I'll tell you afterwards about how I really fell in love with enzymes myself. Uh, But most people listening have probably already heard me say that more than once. (laughs) So I won't, I won't go into it too much uh, today. But what I really am excited about is digging deeper into enzymes because in the past, I think what I've talked about is just generally, you know, enzymes come from this part of the body and that part of the body, and they break down these types of foods. And And I've kept it actually really pretty basic. I think we can go a lot deeper today, and I think it's going to be super informative for those listening. Great. All right. So let's just start with the, the basics initially for those who are not uh, very aware. Maybe they haven't heard my Vital 5 uh, Digestive Enzymes show before, that kind of thing. Uh, what are digestive enzymes?
1: So as you mentioned, talking about where enzymes come from in the body, Um, in our bodies, digestive enzymes are naturally secreted. They're secreted in our mouths. There's uh, carbohydrate digesting enzymes that begin in our mouth. So the minute we start to chew, we're secreting enzymes. There's enzymes in our stomach. There's enzymes that are secreted from our pancreas. And actually, there are what's called brush border enzymes that occur all throughout the digestive system. So those are the enzymes in our body and that's just digestive enzymes. There are actually over 75,000 enzymes in the human body which are responsible for every catalytic process in the body. So without enzymes, there is no life. Enzymes are the definition of the spark of life. So that in and of itself is really, really cool and gets me excited about enzymes. But when we take enzymes in supplemental form, they come from two forms. One is animal-based enzymes, and that would be your pancreatin or the enzymes that are occurring in ox bile. And what Enzymedica specializes in are vegan fermented source enzymes and some bacterial enzymes as well. So these enzymes are created in huge fermentation tanks and then purified and because they're created, we can make them very, very specific and very, very potent or less potent if we need that. So what is an enzyme? An enzyme is simply a long strand of amino acids organized in a certain way, anywhere up to a thousand different kinds of amino acids, very particularly organized. And then they fold in. They, they look like, if you look at them um, in, in like an up-close rendering, they look like a ball of yarn that's all been squished up, and in that folding is where little catalytic sparks of energy are occurring. So what's really cool, again, about enzymes is they're just strands of amino acids. If your body doesn't use them, they'll be broken down and just used in the body. So they're very, very safe, and I love that about enzymes.
0: So are there um, benefits to the enzymes that aren't being used? You said that if you don't use them up, let's just say, for instance, you take uh, something specifically for digestion, uh, you're, you know, eating steak and potatoes and you're taking a, a digestive enzyme and some of those enzymes don't get used up. Do they just get wasted out or does your body use those for other purposes?
1: Well, they do. They do. Are They are able to pass through the intestinal wall and into the bloodstream mm-hmm. to do other kinds of work. So chances are the body is going to use them in digestion but say someone, is, say someone had a small meal and they took a mega dose of enzymes, they may not get used there. So all of the enzymes that Enzymedica makes are able to pass into the bloodstream and do other kinds of work. And they're all beneficial types of work. The body knows exactly what to do with enzymes because we make so many of them. They're so innate to us. So they're not really going to get wasted. But if somebody is concerned, I always like to let them know, look, they're just amino acids. They just... They just degrade and the body is able to use those amino acids if needed.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And, and then at that point, of course, and I don't know that we'll, we'll have time to talk much about the systemic enzyme mm-hmm. uh, side of things, but at that point, uh, any of those enzymes that get into the bloodstream would be working more systemically rather than digestively. And that's actually something I've talked about with uh, someone who I would consider to be an expert in the space, systemic enzymes. But- like I say we've never had anybody just talking about digestive enzymes. so this is great. So um, so now that we know what enzymes are, um, we we talk a lot in you know kind of the natural products world about um, taking a holistic approach to health and looking at all of the different factors and root causes of things and that kind of thing. But one of the things we also talk about is trying to work with, the, you know, the body's natural resources and doing what the body naturally does. Why would we ever need to add more enzymes to the mix if our body is making them already?
1: I love this question. There's, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is very simply that as we age, we create less and less of our own enzymes. This is the aging process is less enzyme production. Mm -hmm. So quite simply, after about the age of 30, our enzyme production just starts to go down slowly. And I think we can all identify with that. We used to be able to, you know, eat pizza and drink a bunch of beer and do all those things. And now it's like, oh my gosh, I could never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we've all experienced that as we age. We're just, our, our digestion is less and less efficient and less able to just handle anything that we throw down. So that's one piece. And we, we want to make sure that we're breaking down our food because when we break down our food, we liberate nutrients from that food. So I know we talk about multivitamins and lots of different kinds of nutrients in our industry, but what we often don't talk about is actually getting the nutrition out of our nutritious food. It's like the multivitamin that's built in, but you do need the enzyme to help to break that down. So this is why one of the reasons why digestive enzymes are important. The other reason is, is because... You know, we are built to eat a more, first of all, not eat as much as we do, um, but also to eat more raw foods and not as heavily processed foods. So when foods are processed and processed and processed, and when foods are cooked, they are void of enzymes. And so while the body may be able to create them, traditionally we have had either a generous amount of raw foods or fermented foods which also have naturally occurring enzymes in them to help us between those cooked foods meals. That was just a natural part. We also had traditionally before the onset of modern living and way too many antibiotics, our microbiome was more healthy because we weren't constantly messing with it, Mm -hmm. with with medications and drugs, but also just, you know, again, the food source was cleaner. I mentioned the microbiome because there are many enzymes that are created in the microbiome. So if your microbiome in the bacteria is out of balance, that's another way that we're not creating enough of our own enzymes anymore. So it all comes down to wanting to get the good nutrition out of our food and also to help to support elimination. If we're able to break our foods down better, we're able to eliminate more easily. These are essentials for good health.
0: Okay. So I, I need your help here, Julia, because you said a couple of things that I really want to address, but I I feel like it'll sort of interrupt the flow of what we're talking about right now. And I don't want to miss anything. So you mentioned enzymes that were made in the stomach. You mentioned enzymes right at the very beginning. Mm Uh, what did you say? Brush, brush border, Mm -hmm. brush border. I've never heard that term before. And I was so, I was so excited to talk to you because I knew you were going to teach me something new. So I want to talk about those. So don't let me forget those, those have to come back up. But based on what you just said, what it sounds like basically you're saying is that there is a, there's obviously a need for enzymes. Our body makes a lot of enzymes, but essentially like so many other things that we talk about all the time, um, modern living has kind of, screwed up the program to so, some extent, right? We've <laughs> got antibiotics, we've got glyphosate, which is a human antibiotic. We have, um, you know, a, a whole different level and different types of stressors that are on our bodies uh, that create issues. We are eating on the run more than we've ever eaten before. One thing I always mention to people is if if you're thinking that getting your drive-through meal is is a problem because of what you're eating, that's only part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that you're getting a drive-through meal, right? You're on the mm-hmm. run to, I don't know what it is, your dentist appointment or wherever you're heading at the moment. And you're wolfing that thing down under stress at stoplights and in traffic and all the other things. You're not in a rest and digest situation. So then your body is is not going to be able to produce the enzymes that it needs to produce in that fight or flight mode that we find ourselves in so often when we eat and so on and so on and so on, right? The crops aren't as... Uh, nutrient dense as they used to be. And there's just so many things. I just was talking yesterday and I'm trying to think of how this will lay out. I think your episode will be about a week after this episode I just recorded, but I was just talking with a gentleman from the non-GMO project great, uh, and I did an hour and 10 minutes with him and it was just awesome. Like one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. One of the things that he brought up that I thought was so interesting that frankly, I haven't thought about, and i almost had to kick myself for not thinking about this but i'm curious what your take is on it as it relates to human nutrition digestive enzymes probiotics and things like that as he said one of the biggest issues with genetic modification and non-organic farming you know conventional farming is that we talk about the human microbiome ad nauseum it's it, everybody talks about the human microbiome but we don't talk about the soil microbiome right and how messed up the soil microbiome is. We talk about soil depletion of minerals and things like that, but I didn't even think about spraying Roundup on a crop seven times more because it's a genetically modified crop, how that could impact the microbiome of the soil, and then therefore how that microbiome in the soil being all altered would alter the food, which would then alter our digestive processes.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned glyphosates, and that's one of the worst things that gets into our microbiome, unfortunately, um, can can really, really wreak havoc. It's one of the reasons that we see so much leaky gut, yeah. which may, many times people don't even know they have leaky gut, but they end up with a food intolerance and think, how did I get here? Nobody in my family has this. Well, a lot of times it's the glyphosates. Um, for me personally, you know, I had a fantastic mother that every time I got strep throat, I got antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And so that was good a setup as well. And yep. so it's this compound effect. And I love that we're thinking about the microbiome of the soil and how that impacts us. They are all connected. Absolutely. And when we used to live in smaller groups and we stayed with our families and we cooked at home all the time, there was a microbiome in our home. And there still is, but it was a smaller, more controlled microbiome. We share microbiome with everybody we're, we're yes. around. And so now... You know, I'm on airplanes every other week, pretty much. Lord knows what I'm bringing into my home's microbiome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes there's some airport food involved and I'm not, you know, it's probably not the best. Mm -hmm. Everything impacts our microbiome. And now what's super interesting is they're starting to talk about what's called the psychobiome, which is how the microbiome impacts our brains. The gut microbiome is impacting our brain's microbiome. Very fascinating. Everything is connected, even if we haven't found it yet.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite topics is psychobiotics. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds super futuristic, right? But uh, I know. when we talk about the gut-brain connection and the gut being the second brain, and I've heard some researchers say maybe we should call it the first brain. because we should call it the first brain. It's really the more important nerve. what's happening there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vagulmer, fascinating stuff
1: all of that it's it's amazing what we can accomplish i
0: already know that you and i could fill about nine shows so we're gonna have to, <laughs> we're gonna have to be careful here so okay so i really am curious talk to me about so pancreatic enzymes i would say are the ones that if someone is is familiar with enzymes to some degree that's what they've heard of maybe first mm-hmm. right? right um we also have enzymes in the salivary glands, coming out of the salivary glands, as you mentioned. One of the things I always tell people is if, if you are a mom or you had a mom, I think almost everybody so far has had a mom, um, you've heard from that mom in most cases, chew your food, right. slow down, right? And I swear that's indelibly imprinted in a mom's psyche to tell her children. And there's a reason for that, right? Let those right. enzymes do their work. We only have teeth in one part of our body, uh-huh. you know, use the teeth, use the, 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 uh, saliva, the enzymes in the saliva to actually help you break down that food. But talk to me about these ones that are, are lesser known and one that I'd never heard of. What's happening enzymatically in the stomach? Um,
1: so in the stomach, so in, the, in your saliva, they're called salivary amylases. And amylases are the enzymes that break down carbohydrates. Super interesting. If you ever want to take a little piece of bread and hold it in your mouth, you can actually taste salivary amylases at work. That bread will get more sweet as it's starting to break down. So, okay, the body is wise, right? So it's started to take care of carbohydrates in the mouth and through the swallowing process. Now we've got proteins and fats, Mm -hmm. and those are harder to break down, much more difficult to break down. And that is what is um, very present in secretions in the stomach, is these uh, protease enzymes to break down protein and lipase enzymes to help to break down fats. So in addition to stomach acid, that is how food goes from a somewhat chewed solid form into a liquid form called chyme. And it has to get liquid because it needs to go through the valve in the lower stomach to get into the duodenum, and then more enzymes are squirted out from the pancreas. Mm -hmm. And so it has to get into a liquid form, and this happens via the stomach acid and the enzymes because of this, it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about talking about maintaining stomach acid and not yeah. suppressing or neutralizing it when we're dealing with occasional heartburn.
0: Right. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that just briefly. I've definitely talked mm-hmm. a lot about reflux on the show and I have a fun story about that too. Well, actually it's a horribly unfun story, but uh, but a story nonetheless that explains the, um, you know, kind of how the whole reflux thing works and of course how modern medicine is trying to cure it by ignoring it completely and going in the opposite direction of Mm -hmm. of a cure uh, with PPIs and things. So what can we do or what do we do um, as people, particularly in this country, uh, that would then short-circuit some of those processes?
1: Well, you brought up a great one to begin with, chew your food. And it's Mm -hmm. not just to get those salivary amylases going. It's actually to prepare the body for the digestive process. So going back to our drive through on the stressed out on the way to the dentist, Mm -hmm. you know, fight or flight, the digestive process is not going to be working very well because you're stressed out. So the simple act of stopping and chewing your food actually has preparatory activity far down the line. Very important. The other thing is obviously food choices. Now, everybody thinks that heartburn happens because it's too much beer and too much chicken wings. And it's, it's all dietary choices. And while dietary choices can have a lot to do with it, there are still those people that are making all the right choices and they're still suffering. So there's a few other things that are happening. And what's essentially happening is it's acid in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, it's acid that is coming up into the lower esophageal sphincter, the top of the stomach. And that's where you feel that sensation of heartburn. So chocolate can lower the can um, affect the lower esophageal sphincter. It's basically relaxing it so it's open and then the acid comes up and that's what you feel. Mm-hmm. It can be chocolate. It can be fatty foods, even healthy fats. It can be alcohol, especially at night. So you know when we have our you know one glass of wine or something at night, that can actually be a huge culprit. And I bring this up because if it was as easy as just letting go of the beer and the chicken wings and things like that, we wouldn't have 30% of Americans who are suffering from heartburn once a week and 10% every day. Mm -hmm. So it is not always that you're making poor eating choices, especially people that we see in the health food store. They're trying everything they can. Sometimes it's that something is pressing on the gut. Um, Now we all know about pregnancy and heartburn, but sometimes it's carrying extra weight around the gut. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's dysbiosis lower in the intestines creating gas, which is pushing up on the gut. Sometimes you know, it's low acid. So there can be so many things. And it's really a matter of saying, okay, it's it's not just that I'm making the wrong food choices. Maybe there's something else going on.
0: I'm glad you said what you just said about the lower gut, because I tell people all the time, and, and you've... You clearly you and I are on the same page in a lot of areas, this whole connection of everything, right? From the soil microbiome to the human microbiome and everything else. But the digestive system is like this big tube, you know, from the mouth to the anus, right? And Mm -hmm. everything that's happening from the top to the bottom matters and it matters up and it matters down. And um, I don't think most people think about things like leaky gut or um, uh, IBS or things like that as potential uh, root causes or at least significant factors in heartburn because they think Mm -hmm. of heartburn is up here, right? It's up in the esophagus or a reflux is up here. So how could my, what's going on in my colon have anything to do with that? Right.
1: Right. right. Absolutely. I I love that you Um, brought that up. uh, It's, it's a very little under, it, it took me quite a bit of reading to really get down into the statistics around SIBO and heartburn
0: Mm-hmm. around
1: just basic gut imbalance and heartburn um, and food intolerances and heartburn. Lots of people don't know that, but because they're not breaking down the food well, lower on down the line, they're having issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we need to cover in that area. Is there anything else that you want to hit before we move on to food intolerances?
1: I just want to encourage people to really, um, to really take pause before they go down the route of a PPI, because okay. they can be very hard to get off of.
0: And we're talking about Nexium and Prilosec and Prevacid, all the, uh, the the reflux medications, Some many of which now are over the counter, so you don't even have to get your doctor to sign off on it. You can just go start using it, right? Correct. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to help people figure out how to get their gut lined up well enough that they don't need PPIs anymore, but as you said, it is a challenge. Once somebody's been on one for a few years, or in some cases, decades, which they were never approved by the FDA to be on for more than 12 weeks anyway, um, then we have a problem. So yes, absolutely. If you're on a PPI, I'll just say this is my own little public health uh, announcement, okay? This is not sponsored by the FDA, uh, but uh, my... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My announcement would be if you're on a PPI or if you're considering one, please educate yourself on why that is probably doing substantially more harm than it is good and that there are alternatives that you can use. If you're curious about that, I've actually done multiple shows on that in the past. We won't go into it in great detail here. Um, but yeah, word of warning, like you said, if somebody's considering a PPI, it's that's not the issue. And all you're gonna do is cover up a symptom while creating many, many more issues down the road. So. Agree I'm going to keep my that. mouth
1: shut because I could talk about this for about three hours. So we're
0: <laughs> well, um, we may just have to do a show all about that because sure. it's it's a kind of a passion thing for me because me I did experience uh, when I was younger and and I'll just say quote unquote dumber uh, about my diet and my stress levels and things like that. I created a big issue for my, for myself. Like I said, I've told the story and, uh, a lot on the show, but um, you know I haven't had reflux for 24 years. Because I figured out enzymes, and I figured out probiotics, and I figured out eating in a non-stressed um, uh, environment, and so on and so forth, and I'm I'm fine, and I've been fine. But when I was 26, I was in terrible shape when it comes to my digestive system and, and mm-hmm. reflux and all that kind of stuff. So. I know what it's like to be there and I know what it's like to not be there and you don't want to be there. So, uh, yeah, listen to what, what Julia is telling you and she'll help you figure out how to stay away from it. But let's talk about this food intolerance thing. Um, I think the two most common things people know about are lactose intolerance and gluten intolerance. And then mm-hmm. of course, gluten intolerance, um, is not the same as celiac, which is even more severe, but, uh, beyond that, I don't know that most people, at least that aren't struggling with an intolerance or know that they're struggling with an intolerance, uh, know a whole lot about it, why it happens and what might be going on.
1: Well, I love that we're going to talk about lactose intolerance because it is so well known. A lot of times people have taken what what is believed to be the enzyme to help to break down dairy. And that mm-hmm. is an enzyme called lactase. We do create lactase naturally in our gut. We just don't create a lot. We're not supposed to eat that much. So, um, but, you know, we're from a culture that loves its cheese and ice cream. And so we end up eating a lot more dairy than our bodies are prepared for. But really lactase, it's, I mean, it's available in every health food store in America and it's available in every drugstore and grocery store in America. It's the most well-known enzyme. And uh, so people try it and they go, "Eh, enzymes don't work. Didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. because that is just dairy sugar. What is actually the problem for many people, myself included, is dairy protein, and that's called casein. And so if you're just taking a lactase enzyme, you're only dealing with part of the story. So if you are someone who eats dairy and you get a lot of bloating really fast, but it's kind of just that, it's just a lot of bloating really fast, that is, that's a uh, lactase intolerance that uh, dairy sugar is fermenting and it's creating a lot of gas. Okay. But if it's more than just a lot of bloating, maybe there's some cramping, some discomfort, or you have other kinds of symptoms, like skin rashes are common for both casein and for gluten, so both for dairy sugar and for wheat, I'm sorry, for both dairy protein and wheat protein. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we're looking at something different, and that is where you take proteases to help to break down that, that casein. So one of the most fascinating things I ever learned was about what we call caseomorphic peptides. These okay. caseomorphic peptides can um, are um, in our, in our, generate in our bloodstream after we eat dairy. So those casein proteins go into our bloodstream. They're able to cross the blood-brain barrier, and that's where people get the brain fog, the depression, the mood issues, the anxiety sometimes from either gluten or casein proteins. They're actually quite similar. They both have morphic peptides. So they're binding to the morphine receptor sites in the brain and wreaking Mm. havoc. So a lot of times when you're talking with people and you suggest, you know, maybe dairy is an issue. Maybe think about dropping dairy from your diet and they kind of jump on you. It's one of the least favorite things to talk about. So like, no, I love my ice cream (laughs) and I love my cheese. Right oh, that's caseomorphic peptides in action. People often say, I feel really soothed after I eat cheese. I mm. have to have my nighttime ice cream. It's they're, they're having a little bit of that response that's actually a neurotransmitter response.
0: So mentally so, it feels good, but physically they're struggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's uh, really fascinating. I did not know that. So thanks for sharing that. Go on.
1: So, well, and it took me, You know, ten years to get there too. I didn't eat any dairy, but don't take my absolutely plain organic Greek yogurt. It was, you know, one of my foods that I got a lot of protein, not a lot of sugar. And finally, my partner convinced me a couple years ago, and I was like, I don't like you. You were right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really important if there's dairy intolerance to make sure that you get an enzyme that has both the enzymes to break down the dairy protein and the dairy sugar. Now. I know some people do sit down and just eat a brick of cheese. However, we're usually eating dairy in context of a meal. Right. So it's it's a better choice if you can also have an enzyme that will break down the whole meal around it as well and not just mm-hmm. be super targeted at dairy. And so that's where enzymatica's lacto comes into play because it also has enzymes to help to break down the carbohydrates, the fibers, all of that.
0: So then here's the question because I think maybe the thing that is – Uh, well, I'm not even going to say maybe, I know the thing that um, impedes the natural products consumer, the customer that walks into a store like Vitality Nutrition um, that impedes them, gets in the way of them really being able to make the choice that they need to make is in many cases, just this feeling of overwhelm. They're looking in the digestive enzyme section and just in your brand Julia, you're part of the problem here. I know we are. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole four foot shelf at Vitality Nutrition with your yellow and orangey labels of all the different things that you can use to digest. But I love what you just said that I think is really interesting because the common question, and and of course, if you come into Vitality Nutrition, we're going to help you make the decision that we think, you know, makes the most sense for you. Um, but the the common question is okay, well. I'm buying into digestive enzymes. Now, which one do I take? Right. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the lacto formula because like you said, it's more of a well-rounded formula. You don't have to take necessarily an enzyme for your lactose intolerance um, and an enzyme for your casein intolerance and an enzyme for your, uh, your need to digest uh, fat and carbohydrates and things like that. It's all rolled in there, but why would a customer choose to buy lacto versus say, Digest Gold or Digest, one of your more general mm-hmm. formulas.
1: So they're just, um, they're, they're tweaks in the formula. So all of our digestive formulas um, are, are, I should say most of them are broad spectrum. They're gonna cover the entire meal. Okay. But as an example, um, there's something like three times more lactase in the lacto formula than there is in our highest potency formula, Digest Gold. Most Mm -hmm. people think of Digest Gold as being the highest potency. So think of lacto like Digest Gold for people who have a hard time digesting dairy. So it's going to have the highest potency in the lactase, but it also has specific proteases that are really, really good at breaking down dairy protein. That's the beautiful thing about enzymes and, and working with a company that knows enzymes. It's what we do enzymes are very specific. You need to know what you're doing with enzymes because it's not just about the most potent enzyme. It's about the right enzyme for the job.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I love mm-hmm. that. And I do love that about your formulas is that you can really target into a specific area. And frankly, if you're not exactly sure what you're dealing with, you just know that when you eat, you don't feel good. Um, it's the cool thing about enzymes is that you can freely experiment with them and figure out what works for you, right? You're not going to cause any harm uh, in uh, testing out the lacto formula versus the Digest Gold or or whatever else. Okay, so with what tips do you have for people, I guess, on trying to assess um, what it is in a meal that's bugging you? Because I have a lot of people that uh, come in and they say, yeah, when I eat, I bloat, or I'm gassy, or I have... Constipation or diarrhea or cramping or whatever. Um, how does some, someone try and figure out if they have a specific food intolerance versus they just don't digest things well?
1: Comes back down to a good old fashioned food journal. I started food journaling, you know, 15 years ago to figure out what was making me bloated and not digestively bloated, but holding water bloated. Okay. And It's, I know it, it might, it might feel overwhelming for people. So it really can be so simple though. Take five minutes at the end of your night, or if you tend to journal first thing in the morning and just write down everything that you ate, um, as good as you can remember it, it's more important to be consistent than to be perfect. Right. And, and then like, for me, I would say, you know, I slept, here's, here's how much I slept. Did I feel anxiety? Um, for me, because I was looking at bloating, I was weighing myself and being like, how did I gain three pounds in a day? What did I eat? Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, it was gluten. Um, and just some stats, you know, was I bloated? Did I have diet? If those are things you're worried about, did I have diarrhea? Did I get a headache? Just four or five things that are kind of your markers, the things that you're struggling with. And I promise you within about two weeks, you're going to start to see a pattern. And then pull out some of the most common things one at a time. So if it's sugar, a lot of times it's just plain old sugar that's causing bloating issues. Try that. You know, try that for a few days. You're probably going to start to see a difference sometimes very quickly, but at least within five days to seven days. And it shouldn't take too, you know, and you can go get testing and things after that, but just take the power into your own hands first and do some really simple food journaling easier than ever now with apps on the phone. I still write things down, but it's great apps and you can search it and go, oh, oh goodness. Every time I have loose stools, I'm eating dairy. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. And I love taking, taking the power in your own hands. I think that we We have a real problem in this country where we tend to hand our health over to an expert. And the truth of the matter is, in my view, we are our own expert on our health. Nobody feels what we feel when Mm -hmm. we eat a certain food. Uh, And yes, there are blood tests and there are all kinds of other ways that you can monitor and try and figure out what the heck's going on. And and all of those tools are potentially very, very useful. But there's a lot of really basic things we can just kind of figure out for ourselves if we're paying attention. I think one of the single biggest things that you brought up with that food journal, and I'm so glad I didn't expect you to say that. Um, I didn't know what you were going to say to that question, uh, (laughs) actually. And I'm glad you picked that because I think it's such a it's so simple. And yet one of the things that I think is really a struggle and and again, I'm going to correct myself. I know is really a struggle because I've experienced with so many of hundreds of people over the years at Vitality. Because we're sitting in the digestive health section of the store, and we're having a conversation, and this individual is saying to me, um, "I I need." probiotics or I need digestive enzymes or I have IBS or I've got reflux or whatever. Right. So we're over in that section. We're talking about all the possibilities and I am an inquisitive person. And I find that if I ask enough questions, oftentimes I can, you know, narrow down the search for what we're looking for. What I'm, I frankly, I guess never cease to be amazed by is how little people know about what's bugging them.
1: Exactly. Right. If, If we teach one thing to people, and I, I've been in this industry for 30 years, taken many, many different kinds of things that have really changed my health, supplements, dietary changes, all of that. If we teach people how to listen to their bodies, yes. we've
0: done it. Yes, yes, yes. Awareness of just what's happening in there, right? Yeah.
1: And it gets to a point after you cultivate this for a little while that you can say, you know, I've gotten to this place with gluten because I'm not celiac, just intolerant just from leaky gut, you know, earlier in life where I can say, yeah, I think I can have a little cheat today and I'll take my enzymes along with it. That's maybe once a month or less for me, but that little cheat never used to be able to happen at all. Or I can say, "Mm -mm, I've been stressed out. I was on an airplane yesterday. I'm not doing that. So it's very important to be able to listen to yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, In so many ways, um, self-awareness is important. And I think we we talk about it probably more with like uh, how we interact with people, but uh, self-awareness of just what's going on inside this amazing body of ours uh, and and what might be causing the problems. I was having a conversation with someone just two or three days ago. I can't remember when it was, a couple of days back um, with uh, someone and asking them all the pertinent questions about, you know, why they felt bad after they eat. And I said, okay, so is it a specific type of food that bugs you? Have you been able to isolate that? No, I think it's just about every time I eat. And I said, well, is it literally every time you eat? Well, no, some meals are fine, but most of my meals are a problem. Okay, so what's in those meals? Uh, I don't know, right? And and so, like you said, the food journal, it's – monitoring this stuff is not fun. Nobody loves to pay attention to every single morsel they put in their mouth. But you also said something I think that is really, really critical. Better to be consistent than to be perfect with this thing. And as you become aware, what what's going to happen is you start to become aware of it, even if you're not writing it down. You start mm-hmm. to recognize mm-hmm. that, okay, I just had this meal. I feel this way. And I remember too, that a few weeks ago, I had this meal and I felt this way. And then you can start to isolate and figure things out. And, and there's real value in that. So thank you. Thank you. I think that's really, really powerful stuff. So what about other food intolerances? Well, actually, let's go down below food intolerance a little bit. What do you think creates these food intolerances? Because most people, in my experience, um, used to be able to eat this. And now I can't eat that anymore. But I used to be able to eat it and it was never a problem, right? You've heard that a thousand times, right? Mm-hmm. So what's That's, going on here? Why could they do it and now they can't?
1: Well, a few reasons. I mean, just going back to the beginning of we're creating less enzymes as we age. That's mm-hmm. all there
0: is to it. Okay. Um, so age and, is, is one major factor.
1: Yep. And then the damage that occurs through age and through the exposure to glyphosates, medications, um, even surgeries sometimes can, you know, if it's around the GI, can impact the GI and how the GI is responding. Many people have their gallbladders out and they say, yes. why does that matter? Why? I still have pancreas. I'm still creating the enzyme. Well, the function of the gallbladder is to hold that, you know, that those pancreatic fluids and those enzymes and let them go after you eat. With no gallbladder, they're just kind of leaking all the time. So you may not get them when you need them, and you may not get them in concentrated form. We don't even have a statistic on how many Americans have their gallbladders out, but it's at least um, nine hundred thousand a year, I believe. So think about that as
0: you is know, it really nine hundred thousand? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's. Yeah, you know, I
1: did the math on what that meant over a twenty-year segment of time, and what blows my mind is that now we're, you know, now keto is really popular. We're talking about good fats more than ever. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, have your, have your fatty fish, have your coconut oil, and then, but we, we don't ask if they have a gallbladder. So, right. you know, lipases, again, um, they are in the stomach, but they're also in the pancreas. So now let's think about the person who is on those medications that suppress stomach acid, and they right. don't have a gallbladder. Now we have issues, and this is a lot of people. So, and they don't even think about it. They're like, what? I had my gallbladder out when I was eight. What's the problem?
0: You know? Yeah. No, well, if it. It, if it's a disposable part uh, and you can live without it, it seems like medicine's going to try and help us do that. Get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I always equate how many gallbladder removals to how many uh, doctors have boats, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, so what if somebody, what if somebody is starting from behind? What if somebody is dealing with no gallbladder and maybe they're 50 years old, like I am. So age is, is in, the, in the mix for sure, because 50-year-olds aren't doing what 20-year-olds could do when it comes to enzymatic production, right? Nope. They don't have a gallbladder and they're dealing with um, symptoms. Uh, and I'm, I don't even necessarily care what symptoms. Maybe they're dealing with reflux or maybe they're dealing with IBS type symptoms or whatever. But they've already got, you know, kind of two strikes against them with those two things. Mm -hmm. What does that person need to do to try and figure out how to feel good when they eat and not struggle with these things?
1: Well, my first thing is always going to be diet. Mm -hmm. We know what's not healthy. If it's neon green, it is not healthy. (laughs) (laughs) If that bread is just way too soft, there are stabilizers in there to make it that way. So Mm -hmm. just start. By getting the junk out, trying to remove as much sugar as possible, trying to make healthier choices in general. Because I always say, like, the body is meant to digest and the body is meant to cleanse, but we have to let them and we keep getting in our own way. So that's one thing is like, can we just start by getting the junk out? And then also, can we start by looking at stress and rest levels in our lives? Because as you, um, you know, So eloquently mentioned the rest and digest. Mm -hmm. If you are having problems sleeping, which is so many people, and you don't know how to rest, which I'm also 50, it's taken me this long until this year to figure out that rest is really important. It's not just about sleep. It's about
0: rest. It is the biggest challenge of my health journey is getting <laughs> enough rest. I and I, I believe one hundred percent. I'm not the greatest at achieving uh, and giving myself enough time to rest, and and it is critical, absolutely.
1: So those are the basics. You know, those are the things that we we say. You know, in 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 uh, in the health food store, those are the things we talk about. But who knows if they're really going to do it? Okay. So then that's where we go to digestive enzymes, because Mm -hmm. even if you're not in a state of rest and digest, even if you're eating a lot of hard to digest foods, enzymes are going to help to break them down and make that whole process easier. Now, the interesting thing about enzymes is because they're natural, they don't really break down highly processed foods, but they can help. Okay. Okay, So I always say it doesn't turn fruit loops into fruit. Right. (laughs) Enzymes aren't that magical. But they will help. They'll help along the way, and that's a huge thing. That no matter what your symptom is, um, and especially if you're in transition on a health journey, because remember, we as as hard as we think it is to make those natural food choices, it's hard for our gut too. It's adjusting. There's a whole system down there. There's a whole ecology down there, and we change one thing, and the ecology has to digest has to adjust. Mm -hmm. So give your body time to make that adjustment and enzymes can really help to smooth that along as well. We see it, we see it every January. People come in, I'm going to go vegan. Cool. Awesome. I love it. Eat more vegetables. Just eat more vegetables. I don't care if you're vegan. Just eat more vegetables. And you know, three weeks later and they come back and they're like, vegetables hate me. Vegetables don't hate you one of the enzymes that helps to break down fiber called cellulase Mm -hmm. is actually not created from our pancreas, not created in our stomach. It's created from the microflora in our gut. So if you have a standard American SAD diet Mm -hmm. and you don't have a lot of those easily fermentable fibers that are also helping the (laughs) (coughs) the probiotics, the bacteria, all of that in your gut, you're not creating cellulase. So here we go, pounding it with broccoli and kale all day long, and there's nothing there to help to break it down,
0: yeah. Yes. It, it, it's interesting, too, because I've had people, you know, especially people that are diagnosed with something pretty significant in their gut, like a Crohn's or an ulcerative colitis mm-hmm. or something. The worst enemy for that individual is a salad, right. You know, it'll absolutely tear them apart right. and And so what you're saying, of course, makes perfect sense. Their gut is in such a, Uh, such dysbiosis and so out of balance that uh, they can't break down the stuff that needs to be broken down, even in what would be considered a healthier meal.
1: And it's so frustrating for people. They're trying to make the better choice. Yeah. And yet, it's like no good deed goes unpunished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, at a certain point, you've you've gotten yourself, you know, so far down the road that you've got to kind of slowly build back Mm -hmm. up to get to, you know, optimal health. So we're... I'm gonna commit you while you're on the air so that we have actual um, you know evidence that you agreed to this. So you better agree. <laughs> We're gonna to need to do a part two. Okay. Because there's way too much stuff here. And we're up against about six more minutes before I've got to let you go. Okay.
1: Six minutes is not enough for us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not. There might, we might have to commit to a part three, but I really do think this, this information is really, really, well, I know it's very valuable. I think that people listening are going to really enjoy this episode and, and what they've learned. So let's, because we, we know we're going to do part two now, right? Yes. Okay. All right. We, get, we know we're going to do part two. Let's spend another uh, five or six minutes on food intolerance and really kind of wrap up that topic as much as we can. And then we'll dive sure. into some other stuff mm-hmm. on the next one. So l- how about if we list, well, well, one of the questions is then, okay, we know about lactose intolerance. Now we know, I think most people listening probably aren't that familiar with casein or what it even is, but now we understand that a little bit more. Um, and then of course, we've talked about gluten intolerance. Um, what other food intolerances? You just kind of touched on veggies and why that might be an issue. What other mm-hmm. intolerances intolerances are common that people need to kind of look out for as they're doing this food journal thing and trying to figure out why they feel what they feel when they eat?
1: Well, uh, uh, one of them I'm going to call fat intolerance. It's not it's not typically thought of as a formal intolerance, mm-hmm. but really, like if you don't have the gallbladder, if you if you've suppressed your stomach acid for a really long time. Fats can really wreak havoc. And so just have the knowledge of that because guess what? There's a fantastic enzyme for that. Lip- lipase is an enzyme that is so important. Like Think about how, what nutritional value fats bring, how much our brains need fat. Think about our, our bodies. If we're not breaking down that fat, um, it, it can really wreak havoc in our digestion that we feel. But it can also wreak a lot of havoc further on down the line if we're just not able to get the nutrients out of those fatty foods. So that's one I I ask people to focus on, even though they may not think of it as a a formal intolerance. Um, Another intolerance that we don't think a lot about, but it is pretty prevalent, is phenols. Um, So phenols, we think of them as good things. They come from green tea, blueberries, a lot of highly nutritious foods. But some people just don't have an easy time being able to metabolize those phenolic compounds. And so just note if, like for me, um, if I was to drink red wine, I would just break out in a rash. And part of that is some blood sugar dysregulation, some inability to break down sulfites, but also it's high phenols don't really agree with me. And that took a little while to figure out. There's an enzyme called xylanase that it's superhero job is to break down phenols. So just the awareness that it doesn't have to be um, an unhealthy food. It can be a healthy food too.
0: Right, like we talked about with veggies, right?
1: Yeah, like I mean you can really be intolerant to anything and the only way to know that is either the testing or to eliminate it from your diet and see if you feel better. And intolerances shift over time. So as your gut heals, you're going to have different sets of intolerances come up Hormones can wreak havoc with intolerances, but also as your gut heals, you may have less and less intolerances.
0: Are you a believer that most intolerances uh, are caused by leaky gut, or do you think that there's other things that are independent of that that are a big issue?
1: Uh, Either enzyme deficiency, uh, damage to the intestines. So I mentioned those brush border enzymes earlier. Mm -hmm. So we have villi in our intestines, and these villi are little finger-like projections that are there to help to actually increase surface area in our gut, it's Mm -hmm. a very cool mechanism of the body, but they secrete enzymes. And so as as aging occurs, those little villi start to lay down, they get sad, they're not really creating their enzymes. And one of the enzymes that is created um, on that brush border is uh, digestive DPP-4, dipeptidyl peptidase-4, which is the enzyme that helps to break down gluten protein. So while it can start with, um, you know, the villi not being in great shape just because of age and what we eat and all of that, I am a, I am a huge believer in leaky gut being more of a problem than we know it is because that's my story. Um, because of the continual antibiotics, Mm -hmm, I had leaky mm -hmm. gut and didn't even know it. I had a you know learning disability and it wasn't, it was, it was wheat.
0: It was, it was a gut issue. Mm -hmm. And isn't that crazy? Because of course, as a. As you you stated before this, trying to think of how to word this, with the gut-brain connection being what it is, there's so much happening, right, between... What's going on in the gut and what's going on in the brain? And I always tell people this, and you're apparently a shining example of this with the the so-called learning disability. That mm-hmm. if there's anything going on in your brain that you're not happy with, whether it's uh, something like just short-term memory or it's focus, which I is is my <laughs> the bane of my existence <laughs> with my uh, the way my brain is wired. Uh, whether it's a learning disability, whether it's uh, you know quick temper depression, anxiety, whatever, do not bypass what's happening in the gut to try and figure out what's happening in the brain. Because Mm -hmm. if the brain Mm -hmm. is struggling, in almost every case, in my opinion, the gut started struggling first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a a huge part of our nervous system is the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. It connects all the way from our lower GI at every point, all the way up, including even our lungs to our brain. And what's interesting about the vagus nerve is it's bi-directional. So it's not just a nerve being sent one direction. It's a bidirectional superhighway. So our gut and all the parts of our respiratory respiratory system and our brain are always talking. So this yep. is why when you get nervous or something's not right, you get that gut feeling, you clench, right. your breathing gets shallow, and you get anxiety. Talking Excellent. instantaneously.
0: Yeah, it's... It's really crazy when you start to think about it, but yeah, if uh, I'll, I'll tell you that ask yourself this, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, um, any type of what I would consider one of the big D's, right? The stuff that you might get diagnosed with ADD, OCD, PTSD, even things like this. Yes, there are things that can, you know, quote unquote, trigger some of those feelings for sure. Life experiences and, and, and stresses and all this kind of stuff. But whenever I talk to people that are dealing with those types of issues and I ask them what's going on with their gut health, they almost, without exception, will tell me, well, I'm not do, doing too hot down there either, right? There's something else going on that they've recognized in their gut. Um, but most people at this point have not put those two things together and, and uh, come up with a, the answer to that question that maybe the mental thing is actually a gut thing.
1: And it is so fascinating that connection between the gut and the brain. And, um, you know, we mentioned psychobiotics earlier, but even just the signaling that happens that's starting in the gut really does impact our whole system. So say, for example, that we have a pro-inflammatory state that's going on in our lower GI. What eventually happens is that the adrenal glands kind of catch wind of this And now the adrenal glands are going on fight or flight all the time. So now we start to feel more and more tired and less able to focus. If anyone here has ever had adrenal insufficiency, you know what that feels like. But then that also starts to pull on the thyroid eventually because the adrenals and the thyroid are connected. And now we really don't have a lot of energy and we have an even more difficult time focusing. So that gut-brain connection is one of my passions. And maybe that's what we'll talk about next time.
0: Yes, let's do it. I would love to do that. I could, as I said at the beginning, I think we could do nine or 10 or 20 <laughs> shows. Um, this is, we're both clearly geeky enough when it comes to this <laughs> stuff that <laughs> that we want to dive deep and uh, and and, of course, expose this information to as many people as we can. Thank you for what you do, educating about what I consider to be one of the greatest and most important topics in the entire world of health and nutrition, and that is, of course, gut health and digestion. So, so very important. Uh, Before I close this show out, I want to tell each of you listening this. I am really, really cautious about who I bring on my show. I There's no end to quote unquote experts I could invite on Vitality Radio. uh, And there are a lot of really, really great minds out there. But whenever it comes to someone who represents a company, that's when I'm especially extra cautious because I don't want to just talk about something to sell something. Enzymedica is a truly unique company. Their name says a lot. Uh, they started out as an enzyme company. They are still very much an enzyme company, although they branched out into other areas of digestion to some degree. Um, and they are a company that I truly trust. I I know many of the people there very, very well. And I believe you're in excellent hands if you're choosing Enzymetica products. Uh, absolutely. So I just want to make sure that you listening know that... Um, I'm on board. I've used many enzymetica products myself. I use Enzymedica products right now and they're excellent, excellent quality and work very, very well. Julia, thank you for your time. I really have to wrap this up. I appreciate it. We will do a part two very, very soon. Thanks to everyone listening. If you have questions about anything you've heard us discuss today, Please call us, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or check us out, vitalitynutrition.com. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.